0: This human capital podcast is brought to you by GoalSpan, a performance management app that helps you set goals, get real-time feedback, run reviews, and align your workforce around what's most important. With GoalSpan, you can integrate with all your favorite HR and payroll apps. To learn more, go to GoalSpan.com. Welcome to the human capital podcast. I'm Jeff Hunt. Today, we're going to discuss the connection between sports and business. These worlds are similar in so many ways, so much so that we can get sick of hearing people at work use sports phrases like, he's a team player, the ball's in her court, stick to the game plan, let's huddle up, or perhaps time to play hardball. If you think about business and sports, what are some commonalities that come to mind for you? Some of the things that I think of are that there's fierce competition. They both require strong leadership, teamwork, strategy, and performance measurement. And today I've invited a guest from the world of college basketball to join me on the podcast. St. Mary's men's basketball coach, Randy Bennett, inherited a team back in 2001 with a 2-27 and record. But since then, he's transformed the Gales into a team that is now recognized nationally as one of the top non Power 5 programs in the United States. Randy finished this last season at 27 and 8 overall and 14 and 2 in the conference, which is incredibly impressive. And he has an overall win loss ratio of 70.9%. That's an amazing statistic, so we must be doing a few things right. So my hope today is that we can all get some great leadership coaching tips from the man himself, Randy Bennett. Welcome, Randy. Jeff,
1: thanks for having me on. Look forward to it.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into sports and business. But before we do, start out by giving me like a thumbnail of your career journey. Tell me how you ended up coaching this fantastic organization. I'll give you the
1: shortened version, but basically, you know, I grew up, like a lot of us, loving sports and uh, playing sports and played basketball and football and baseball, wrestled, did them all like we used to do and did them because it was fun. And so I I say that because I often need to remind myself, hey, that's why these guys started playing. So Because you can make it so much work and business, but it's, it's supposed to be fun. Anyhow, I started out doing that and my dad was a coach. And so I was around it all the time obviously more than more than the average person. And that was kind of my thing to do. That's what was my passion was playing. And as, you know, as I got into college and I just, I knew by college that when I was done playing, I played in college at UC San Diego. But uh, I knew I wanted to coach. And uh, I, I actually did a, my major was a pre-med major is animal physiology down at UC San Diego. So I was on a good academic track but (laughs) I knew what I wanted to do and it wasn't it wasn't going to be animal physiology so anyhow after that it was and and you have to do this in this profession it is you just you jump in get in a volunteer assistant or grad assistant position and you're like why did I just get this degree at UC San Diego and a a science major and now I'm going to work for free (laughs) And that's how you get in. It's that's it's a crazy profession. I tell people that I don't necessarily recommend it because it it's not guaranteed you're gonna make it up or get an opportunity, make it up the ladder, I should say. And anyhow, I did it. I didn't get into it because I wanted to be a a division one coach, or I just did it because I like I knew I liked coaching and I want to be part of it. And then the further I got into it, and I was assistant for, oh, I think 14 years, the further I got into it, the more I started figuring it out. All right, if you're going to, you have to make certain decisions to put yourself in the right place to be able to get a head coaching job um, in Division One. I. I wasn't thinking about that at all early on. I was just, I just wanted to get in coaching and uh, loved it. And that was my passion. And then, but once I was in it in about late 20s, early 30s, I figured out. Wait a minute, I better, I better be a little more strategic about this. And um, I actually got turned down at University of San Diego as assistant there, and the head coach left, Hank Egan, and he hired me. So anyhow, he went to the Spurs. I thought maybe I'd get that job, but I didn't. They brought in another guy, and that's kind of when I figured it out. Wait a minute, this thing, you better be strategic about it. So eventually I was at St. Louis and as assistant and uh, St. Mary's job opened and I, it wasn't like I was dying to get this job, but I knew I knew the league. I'd been at University of San Diego for nine years, so I knew the league and I was lucky, honestly. I just, Rick Majeris made a call for me and I worked for Lorenzo Romar at the time. Anyhow, and he... Helped me and just kind of my background as far as where I'd coach being in the WCC helped. So anyhow, I, I was lucky, and I don't say that out of humility. I was lucky I got this job. They were uh, they were down um, at that time, and I had a good job, but it worked out, and I was really excited to have the opportunity and. I didn't know what I, I, I did know what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. And uh I knew what I was doing because I'd been assistant, whatever it was 14 years. So I and I had been in positions where the head coach would give me a lot of responsibility, which is I was fortunate to get there. That. that doesn't always happen. And so I always felt like I was gonna be all right as far as you know, running a program. And and so I really never had any doubts when I came to San Mary's, but if you would ask me then if I thought we'd be where we are at now, I really didn't even think that way. But I always did think that we could be good here. I never I never really wondered on that, but uh it's turned out even better than I thought. But I want to emphasize I was so so fortunate to get an opportunity. And and there's been guys who've done as much as I had done at that point as assistants that never got an opportunity to be head coach. So I was really blessed there and will always look back on it like that. Like
0: you got lucky, you got a chance and be grateful for the opportunity you got. I love that story, Randy, because there's so many pieces of it that are important. And like the moral of your story seems like a follow your passion, which is exactly what you did. You followed your passion. You were on one path, but then you knew your passion was somewhere else. So you followed that. B, be strategic. So eventually, even though you're following your passion, you really got to take a look at what's around and make good decisions around that. And then C, take any luck that you can get because luck is a big factor, right? Yeah. <laughs> so is that sort of a, a summary of uh, of kind of that career, that career journey?
1: Yeah, there's one, one more piece is, uh, it was the next piece is, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about the things they don't have and complaining about kind of complaint oriented. And I think that was never kind of, that was never part of my deal it was make the big time where you're at. And I think that's a, a good one to live by for somebody who's uh, trying to lead and trying to do something special with the opportunity to have. So I, that's, it's my approach now. I, you, we all get there. We all get in these positions where we don't have this, we don't have that or, getting a bad deal here but as soon as you can get off that and the quicker you can get into hey we're gonna make this work let's uh you know how you how you react to the hand you've been dealt I think that's a huge deal in uh having success you just your attitude
0: yeah was there any one person that really inspired you along the way oh many but
1: mostly I mean I said my dad was a coach so unknowingly at the time he was painting the picture for me and probably unknowingly to him like he was just living his life but I'm there watching it and so every day every night and see what it's like to be a coach and obviously it was something that I thought was pretty cool it would be I don't know it just kind of was happening when I didn't even know it was happening but now that I'm older and I look back like why do I think this way or why do I how did I end up being the way I am? A lot of it goes back to that. I worked for some really – I, I was lucky. I had really good coaches, like junior high, high school, and junior college, and then even at four-year school. And then when I worked, I worked for a guy named Hank Egan. That's the first guy I worked for, and he's just a, a guy with great integrity. And, again, at the time, like that's the first guy i worked for. And you, you, you have your ideas and you think you know a lot. And then he was just a great guy to shape, you know, help shape my opinions as, as far as how you should handle yourself in this business. And there are some, there are plenty of times when you, you, have, to, you may have to make a, a good character decision. And he was like best at that. He was, he, he, uh, he ended up going in the pros and working for Craig, Greg Popovich who was he coached the Air Force and all that so anyhow and then yeah all the way up Tim Floyd and Brad Hall and Lorenzo Romar all those guys I was assistants for they they helped me with college basketball to just figured out and gave me opportunities so but Hank was big and uh, played for my dad he was big and I played for my high school coach Buddy Dillon was great and then a guy named Royce Urie who I also played for and was around when I was in high school. He was a great coach. So those guys kind of were big inspirations for me. It still are guys. I look back, like, how would they handle this player situation or how would they approach this? And so I think they, they really shaped me and I appreciate, I've always appreciated them. And uh, the longer I go, the,
0: the more impact they have. Well, and you're doing that for so many people now. It's, It's so cool to see that in reverse, but let's talk just briefly about this last season. You had some exceptional player leadership with Alex Dukas and some of your other top players, but talk to me about what were some of the characteristics that you saw in these guys that really, you know, you can, you can name it as exceptional player leadership, right?
1: For sure. These guys were, the reason we've been good last two years is uh is our senior leadership these guys as juniors were good leaders for us as well and i've been doing it long enough now i think you learn a lot whether you're assistant coach or head coach but when you're a head coach you really i think you you uh you're razor sharp on your focus as far as studying the leadership piece not just for you but for your players and what it should look like so I've, i've had enough reps at it now after 22 years is doing it here at saint mary's that you kind of know what it looks like, feels like, and so it's helped me on that. I mean, we've had some great leaders here, but Logan, Kyle, and uh, Alex Dukas were our three seniors this year, and they were exceptional. Usually, we pick one guy, we call it, he gets the leadership tie, and he's kind of, he's the gatekeeper for our program, so to speak, but make sure that we just entrust him with our program that he's going to he's gonna make sure that talk in the locker room is right, on the court or right, off the court or right. We know that basically he's a, a coach, he's a player, and uh, if that guy's good, we're good. It's pretty much that simple. But we had a group like Logan and Kyle, they're exceptional leaders for numerous reasons, but and then Alex was as well. And so for the first time we went with – it's usually a one-man job and uh, put a lot of responsibility on that guy and a guy who can handle it. But they, well, we thought all three of them were good, so we went with three people, which I don't know if we'll ever do again, but we did because we thought all three of them were good. And they were just – that's kind of tricky too because who's really leading it? Right. And, and Anyhow, they did an incredible job just – caring about our program and and caring about their teammates and and really kind of owned it as a group each one did it in their own way so it's kind of fascinating to to watch and uh they really couldn't have done a better job there's the obvious things like all right we we always played hard we you could count on them to show up every night and they took pride in that and they would set little goals for their team and they only work if they set them and they want to achieve them. And so they were good on that. They're good on the follow-up. We had, of our 10 players this year, we had four freshmen. And and it's usually, wow, that's usually a lot. And, uh, but they got those guys right. And I think their biggest goal, and this is where they were unselfish in that they want to leave the program in a better place than when they came in. And with our program, that's hard to do. Because we've had some we've had some runs where we went 29 wins, 29 wins, 30 re- wins, three, three consecutive years. No doubt. So they had come in right shortly thereafter that and they they embraced it. They really took it to heart. And and they still do. I mean, they're still around till graduation, but it mattered to them a lot that they left our program in a really good place. So they were special for a lot of reasons, but I think eventually they they cared more about their program than themselves, which is when you can get that, you got a chance.
0: That's a great way to encapsulate it. It's really the the teamwork mentality. It's denying yourself and and really putting the team first. And like I said in the intro, some of these principles are just applicable to business. You also mentioned a lot around integrity and making sure, for instance, talk on the court and off the court is the same. So there's it's congruous, if you will, right? Yes. You know, setting these goals that they can achieve so there's no hypocrisy, right? It's not like you gotta do as I say, not as I do. I'm gonna do this and I hope you're gonna rise to my level, right? Right. The other thing I heard you say is that you know it's tough when you are building an organization and you're such a high performing organization. I I heard you tell a story once about personal best and and so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about personal average versus personal best.
1: Yeah, so so I was talking to a sports psychologist I, I happened to end up on a, a plane flight with him from the East Coast all over here I didn't know him or anything and we started talking he w- he was actually a sports psychologist for the uh uh US swim Program U.S. team, yeah, the Olympic swim program. So anyhow, so they do a lot. You know, you're always trying to get your personal best, personal record, PR when you swim and all that. And he said they made a a change, a slight change that really helped their performances as far as meddling. and and, and it really was a big change in their U.S. swim program in the positive. And instead of shooting for their Personal best every time they swam, they changed it to beat your average every time and because you're gonna fail most times if you're trying to get your personal best every time, but your personal average was a a little little bigger target and something that they people could achieve more often a higher percentage of the time they they found that to really be a successful way to approach it so anyhow, I, I think uh we do that with our shooting numbers uh, when we shoot. Same thing. If you're trying to hit your best number every time, well, you're going to fail a lot more times than you're gonna hit it. And it can discourage you and lose confidence and all that. So there's a lot of things that go with it. But I think it applies to how you have perspective with players on hitting goals and getting better. You're not always going to play your best game. So that can't be a failure. I just yeah, shoot. I just heard it with – uh the other night when they lost in a game and the reporter asked him if he considered the season a failure because they weren't going to win the championship. And he had a great answer on it, but it's, you just have to, you have to have perspective on that stuff. And I think as a coach, as a leader, you, kids don't know, they don't know. They're too young to know, but after you've done a while, because confidence is so important and uh, you get confidence by seeing yourself succeed. I mean, that's real confidence is all right. You, you've seen it. You've done it. You know, you can do it as opposed to talking about it and not necessarily doing it and saying you have confidence. I don't
0: think that's real confidence. I think real confidence is knowing you can do it and have been. Yeah, I like that too, because beating your personal averages seems more motivational than it's a lot harder to constantly beat your personal best. But you can pretty regularly improve and beat your personal average, right? So it seems more motivational to me. Right. One of the things that the pandemic did in business is it created huge turnover in some sectors. So people like left their jobs, they they took inventory on what was important in life, and some people left and they, and they found other jobs, or they really required remote work, and some employers wouldn't do that. And so there was some turnover and, and there are some sectors that still have a lot of turnover. And I was thinking about your basketball program because you have this built-in turnover every year where you're losing guys, you're bringing in new guys. And I'm wondering what, how you account for that. What are some leadership lessons to make sure that when you have turnover, you're going to manage it really well as an organization?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So we have it. I have to apply it to what I do. That's the, that's the domain I understand the best. So sometimes, it, you know, you, you want turnover for the positive. I don't think you want turnover just for the sake of turnover. But all turnover isn't positive. And, and some we have it. I have it in my coaching staff, and I have it with players. And I think you, get, you have to have a plan, and then you have to have a – you have to have a plan A and a plan B. For me, a plan A is like with a coaching staff, you want your want your guys back. Like continuity and coaching, I think it's a huge advantage. And if you're turning over coaches every year and you never have guys who are familiar with your program returning, it's a problem. It'll end up hurting you. So I'm a believer in what we're doing works. I believe in what we're doing. And so... You get people how you recruit them or you get players or coaches how you recruit them. So I think you, you're up front with them about, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Here's what our expectations are. Uh, one of our big deals is find a program where the, uh, you know, the team, the the success of the team is more important than your own success. Yes, we want people to have great individual success but not at the expense of the team and and in my world we deal with that a lot and I'm sure in a, a business world where they're trying to make profits you you would find that a lot as well so we want guys to we want guys to be pros we want them to be we want their dreams to be our dreams but for those things to happen we need to have success as a team so we and we really see it you always see it but now our our deals changed a little bit, and the selfishness can be more of a factor now. So our plan is address that on the way in, not once you get there. And that is for coaching, and it is for players as well. So I think that's the deal. Do a good job, bring them into your program the right way, so that it's not oh, all of a sudden you're changing the game plan here. And and I think people who Think team and think that way are attracted to you know they're attracted to what we're selling and that's what we're selling so I, I think that's a I think that's a key deal and we have to do it all the time with recruiting with players parents um, some I think now one of my biggest deals is let me all uh, right I talk to the recruit I know the recruit I like let me talk to the parents because those parents will influence those kids how they're going to handle adversity and handle success and All those things. So you want to recruit good ones. And then you don't want to lose them before you think you're going to lose them. But there's times when, hey, you have a guy who's exceptional and he can go pro. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. But And same can happen with an assistant coach. I mean, I've had so many that have gone on to be, because they were good, they've been able to get a head coaching job. That is like the ultimate win for a head coach is when you see an assistant be able to go because they're so hard to get, get a head coaching job at a college level. So those you, you have to have good perspective on that. Yes, you're losing them. You're losing a good one. It's going to hurt you a little bit. That's what you wanted from the get-go. And same with a player. A player gets that good. And we, we, we had Patty Mills left after his second year. And so we have guys that sometimes are like that. But you have to – I think you just have to have – have thought it through, have a good game plan and and team before individual. But if an individual is just, you know, above the line, outlier, you have to embrace that and help them get there. And so I think there's a lot of factors going in that, but you want them to care about your program, you better make sure you care about them. And I think as a coach, the sooner you figure that out, you're going to be better off. Like it's easy to get selfish as a coach, too, because hey, you want to have your success for your team, you have to keep perspective on that stuff and and uh, treat treat others the way you would want to be treated if you're in their position. So I think there's a lot of factors in it, but those are just going off the top of my head. Those That's kind of how I think on those things.
0: I love that. It's really, well, what you just said was the golden rule, basically, right? right. There's so much value to that, and sometimes we discount it. The other things I heard you say that are so also applicable to business, it's got to start with recruiting. We want to recruit the right people that are going to get our vision. And then when we get them on board, immediately we got we need to indoctrinate them on our core values and our culture and the team approach versus the individual approach. And then we need to recognize that some of them are going to leave. And if they do leave and they go to a better organization or opportunity, it might hurt, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because it's really flattering. It, it shows and speaks volumes about the quality of our organization, right?
1: Right. And it's what they wanted to do. You know, it's what they, it's what they're one of their goals and dreams was when they came in to your program or your business. And so if you know that on the front end, that's all good. And you don't want to lose them to lesser situations or, or for a negative reason. It's so easy to get, get caught up in your own deal as a, as a leader. And you, you may have, you may be the controller on it, but you have to be careful. Care about what they think about, too. That doesn't mean you're, you're going to lower the bar where you people can just be selfish and just use your program for their own personal benefit and and not really care about your program or your team or your business. There's a gray area there that you have to do a good job managing, it, and I think you manage it by good communication and good conversation, good communication. In good perspective,
0: it seems like one of the most valuable skills as a coach is to actually reduce dependency on yourself. So, the players or my employees are essentially coaching themselves, at least when they're on the court. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that. Is that a truism that you want them to be so empowered that obviously you're going to give them guidance along the way? but the machine is well oiled and it's running on its own.
1: It's a, it's a, it's a great conversation. It's a great question. That's what I do is think about this stuff all the time. And the answer is yes. Like I always tell our team, we'll be as good as our senior leadership. And because they should be your seniors. Sometimes you'll, you'll get a, a, a special one that, like Delva Delva was leading when he was a, uh, he's a sophomore. He would't shoot. He was one of the leaders as a freshman, but he just kind of had to figure out where you could fit in. But anyhow, he was he was running the show as a junior for sure, and he was outstanding. but usually it's your seniors, and we tell them that because it's the truth. but uh, by that time they should know your program, they should have witnessed some other good seniors leading before them so it's uh it's huge if you want to be good and hopefully you're developing leadership all the way up with your guys so when they get this opportunity by the time they're junior senior year it's it's not just talk it's it's going to happen and they're going to care about it and they're going to be doing what you've been tell, you know preaching to your guys since they were freshmen heard the same old stories heard <laughs> the same messages <laughs> But now they're carrying the message. They're taking care of it. Because you're not, as a coach, you're not around it. You, you're, not, you're not with them Friday, Saturday nights when uh, they need to make good decisions. I mean, there's, you can, there's more than winning games on the court. You have to win them off the court, too. And uh, anyhow, and then with your coaches, at least with our staff, like I want guys that, I mean, a lot of our <laughs> – a couple of my coaches – assistants they played here and they were leaders here and they were captains here so they're very good because they they've been through it they did it when they talk to players players know that hey they, they've gone before me and done it so they listen anyhow you want you want your assistants to be thinking like head coaches they have a lot of responsibility and with that hold people accountable you you want that I don't want assistants that are just standing around and and they don't get a lot of responsibility or a lot of opportunity uh, our staff my assistant it is totally a team effort i it's i wouldn't go anywhere without them like i I couldn't get anything done without them so i'm careful who i hire because i want guys that are going to be capable of doing that as soon as i get enough experience and so yeah it's we'll be as good as my staff is and we'll be as good as our leadership within our program, primarily are older guys.
0: Randy, before we switch into the, some lightning round questions, what's been your biggest learning over the past 22 years at St. Mary's?
1: Yeah, I would say patience and perspective. I think a lot of young guys, I was no different. You think you have it figured out and everything's pretty much black and white it's it's not it's there's a lot of gray because everybody didn't see the world the way you see it even like i think it should go this way and, and you can do all you want to make sure you get guys that are coming into that and they know what they're getting into but they don't necessarily know until they're in it and they may have some different views on how things should be handled or how they should be treated and things like that so i think uh yeah there's a lot of gray and when you're young, you don't understand that. As you
0: get older, I think you're a little more patient. Makes sense. Okay, some lightning round questions. The first one is what are you most grateful for? A lot of
1: things. I mean, I've been blessed in so many ways. But I, I would say uh most grateful for my family and you know, my parents, my sister, and then my immediate family that I have now with my two sons, Jason Kade, my wife, Darlene. Yeah. You're not getting anywhere without them. And so that's what I'm most grateful
0: for. What's the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career? I think the one I just told you to be patient and everything's not black and white.
1: There's gray areas and there's certain things you have to. Hey, these are standards that have to be upheld. But there's just not many things that are just black and white. And uh, so I think I I've, you learn that through experience and you don't even know you're learning it. Eventually, you look back on it, and you figure it out well, that was pretty pretty important I made that adjustment.
0: It's amazing what a few clicks on the odometer can do, right? Yes. <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> okay, Randy, who, who's one person you would interview if you could, living or not? Yeah, great question. Uh,
1: one guy I have, you know, I was able to spend time with, so I'm not I'm not gonna say him and that was John Wooden. He's unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievably sharp guy. But as good as there's ever been. But Bill Russell's the guy that I wish I would have been able to. And I knew it probably 20 years ago, and I just never got it done. So he he definitely that guy. Was, he was a really sharp guy, and he saw a lot. And I would say he you would have great perspective on life and not just basketball, life and life leadership character the whole deal. So, that'd be the guy, Bill Russell.
0: Do you have a top book recommendation, any books, leadership or otherwise? Yeah, so there's a lot
1: of good ones. I think uh one that comes to mind and I I actually read it about it every two years is uh Life of Observations by John Wooden and it's just a it's a quick read and for coaching and leadership it's it's great, and I recommend it to any. I when I speak at things, I recommend it to coaches and parents. It's an easy read, and there's so so many little simple. Have you ever read it?
0: Yeah, I've got it on my podcast website under the recommended books list. There are so many
1: simple things that you're like, gosh, that's so simple that you'll it just reminders. That's why I read about it about every couple of years. And uh, anyhow, I guy, obviously knew what he's doing at a high level. There's another book practice makes perfect, but not it's perfect. Practice makes perfect. And it's just uh, the 20 to 20,000 hours deal is in there. And this is the the whole book on that. I'll get you the name of it. Um, But I read it and I wish I would have read it earlier in my coaching career. Basically it talks about the guys that are like tiger woods. He's swinging a golf club with his dad, watching him in his garage when he's like three, four years old and you get, wait, what is it? 10,000 hours?
0: 10,000 hours. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know if the hour amount is exact or right in reality, but the perfect practice is right. Like there's going in the gym and shooting and there's going in the gym and shooting correctly and have some eyes on you. So everything, I try and do with other program our players is that I mean, I constantly, you know, I get work beats talent, less talent works. And I'm a big believer in that. And that book um kind of doubled down on that for me. So I think it's big, you have to work. And, but there's more to just working. you have to work, right?
0: So as we wrap up, you gave us some amazing leadership principles today. And I'm wondering if a few rise to the top. Can you just remind our listeners, what are some of the the most important takeaways from our conversation? Well, I, I think one of them is, is
1: just life, like treat people the way you would want to be treated, the golden rule. And again, it's such a simple concept, but just look at problems we have in everyday life and across the country. It's let's, let's just get back to that. Let's treat people right. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. So I think... and so that yeah that carries over to coaching that carries over to leadership um people know kids know kids know they're they're not dummies they know if they'll know if you're treating another player right much less them like they see that and those are observations they make and they're gonna if they know you care about them and care about the people you're working with it's gonna go it's gonna go a long way as far as you being able to lead them and them giving their best shot for your for you or for your organization so i think those are the i I think it's so much of it is uh is that how you treat people how you care about people and and i think this goes in with it but having perspective you in so many ways you yeah you lose a game you think it's the end of the world maybe step back you lost lost on a buzzer beater the number one team in the country maybe you really did Play great but your immediate reaction is hey we lost that game i'm just giving you things in context to my world but you have those i don't know you missed a big sell whatever but you almost had it you you just have to have constantly you have to have perspective and constantly you have to uh i think have good relationships with people and show them that you care
0: Randy, thank you so much for bringing all this great wisdom to the podcast and for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Human Capital. If you like this show, please tell your friends and also take the time to go rate and review us. Human Capital is a production of GoalSpan, your integrated source for performance management. Now go out and be the inspiration to other humans. And thank you for being human kind.